Good evening, Fellowship College. Well, hey, you can see uh, we don't have as many people on stage as normal, so it's going to feel a little different tonight. And we, believe it or not, we didn't plan this with the rain, even though it kind of fits the mood perfectly. Uh, but I've been looking forward to this night uh, for, for a while now, since we um, decided we are going to do like a more stripped-down acoustic service. Um, because, man, one of my favorite things about these nights that we get to hear each other sing, um, that the music maybe is not quite as loud as it normally is. We get to hear the voices around us worshiping. And I, I truly believe that uh, that's one of the things that encourages us um, through times of dryness is when we can, we can remember uh, seeing and, and hearing the Spirit move, not only in our hearts, but in the hearts around us. And so uh, Joanna and I are actually both... Uh, nursing some colds right now, so we're, we're kind of sick, and so we're going to need some help singing tonight anyway, but even more uh, the reason to really sing out, but man, I really encourage you guys to do that. We're going to do a, quite a few songs tonight, um, and, and hopefully there's songs that you all know pretty well, um, and so I really encourage you, and really engage, sing out, and worship tonight. Um, so let's, let's do that now. Let's stand together. We're going to sing Come Now Found. Let thy goodness 
like a fetter bind my wandering heart to to Garth Brooks last night. How was it? It wasn't that good? What wasn't good? I know I avoided anywhere near campus. We went on, my wife and I went on a date night up to Rogers because nobody was at Chewy's for the first time ever on a Saturday night. And so it was great, but I'm glad y'all went. Uh, who here with a raise of hand is going to be around at all this summer for a little bit or for the whole thing. If you're going to be here, come on high, put them high. It's okay. Okay. You just signed up for the 412 Institute. Congratulations. If you put your hand up, I need you to take your phone out right now. Seriously, it's not weird. And I need you to scan this QR code because the 412 Institute, in my humble opinion, is the greatest thing we do all year long. We kind of create your community for the summer. We meet, there's like 50 to 100 of y'all. We'll meet in the FSM room. We're going to study the Bible together. We're going to ask the hard questions. We're going to look for answers. And then we're going to see how we can apply it to our lives and actually live this thing out. This summer, we'll be going through the book of Romans verse by verse. And so Trust me, if you are here this summer, please, please, please sign up. You're going to see it's 50 bucks, and you're going to immediately say, no, I'm not going to spend 50 bucks, but here's, here's why it's worth $50. We pay for like eight of your meals, okay? Pay for eight of your meals. You get a t-shirt. You get all that stuff. So 50 bucks is nothing. So sign up. Be a part of that. If you're not here this summer, Quit camp, quit your internship, come back here, stay here for the summer. It's way better than Canacook. It's way better than Sky Ranch. So you don't need to go there. They're fine without you. Be, be here, okay? All right. I'm going to pray for us. Okay, stay, stay at camp, okay? You gave your commitment. Stay there. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to continue to worship together. Father, we just thank you. We thank you for this space. Lord, a time to just remember, a time to, to look back and see all that you've done throughout history and even what you've done in our lives, Lord, that you care about us, that you care about even the little things that are going on in our lives right now. And so I pray that tonight wouldn't just be routine, it wouldn't just be discipline, it wouldn't just be words on a, sing, on, on a, on a screen that we sing all the time but that your Holy Spirit would, would remind us that there would be praise that's lifted up to you, that it would 
be reminders of your goodness, of your glory, and of your love. And so we thank you, we love you, and we pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's continue to worship this evening. One gift of grace is Jesus, my Redeemer. There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hope, my hope is only Jesus, for my life is wholly bound to Him. I can sing all is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me. The night is dark, but I am not forsaken, for by my side, the Savior, He will stay. Down labor on in weakness and rejoicing. For in my need, His power is displayed. To this I hope, my shepherd will defend me. Day by day, 
Tonight we get to continue our series in the book Song of Songs. We're going to learn about beauty tonight and and God's um, definition, his standard of beauty, how that differs from our culture. And so we find um, a lot of psalms of adoration uh, in this book. And specifically, I want to sit in Psalm 45. We're about to sing a, a new song. It's, it's not new, but I think it's new to, to Sunday nights. And so you might not have heard it, but it's called Psalm 45, fairest of all. Um, before we sing it, I want to give a little bit of context. So if we, if we look back um, one chapter, Psalm 44, we get a setup for Psalm 45. And we, we don't know who exactly... Um, put all these different psalms in the structure that they're in, but whoever did it um, purposefully put Psalm 44 right before Psalm 45, and, and I, think, I think it's clear why. So in Psalm 44, it's very much a lament. So if you remember, um, I think it was last semester we were going through the psalms, we talked about the different psalms, and, um, and one of those is lament. So Psalm 44 is that. It's a lament. Um, and the author here, specifically, it's the sons of Korah, and they're in desperate need of a king and a savior. And they're hopeless. They've been waiting and waiting, and there's no sign of any king. There's no sign of a savior. And I'll read a, a few verses from that. It says, Awake, Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? We are brought down to the dust bodies cling to the ground. Rise up and help us. Rescue us because of your unfailing love. And then Psalm 45 is a response to this plea. And the response is simply this. It's, let me tell you about a king. And the response goes on and it's complete adoration of this king's beauty, love, and some verses go like this. It says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. All your robes are fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. From palaces adorned with ivory, the music of the streams, strings makes you glad. And the psalm goes on, and it's just continuing to speak about the beauty of this king. It's a psalm of adoration. So that's what this song is. And so before Garland teaches us more about the standard of beauty through the eyes of Yahweh, we're going to sing about that, this, this psalm of adoration to the king. And so I want us to posture our hearts in that, direct, in, that, uh, in that posture of just giving all glory and admiration to the king who is worthy.
my heart it bursts at its banks spilling with beauty and goodness I pour it out as a song to my king shaping the rivers into words what grace pours from your lips the sound calls the midnight to morning the melody turns my winter to spring oh, I echo it now in my worship oh, I echo it now in my The fairest of all The fairest in heaven and earth Of the children of men You're the fairest of them The fairest in heaven and
son Jesus and we see it in him alone and so um, God as we learn more of what beauty is tonight would you open our eyes to see more of your beauty um, in those around us in the world that you have created and most of all in your son that you sent him to die for our sins it's in his precious name amen amen stay standing if you don't mind I'm gonna invite you Cody hit the last like cue for me please take us back a like cue this is totally impromptu because we were singing this song. Um, I just want to, I want to ask you just to close your eyes, whether you're a Jesus follower in the room, whether you've been following Jesus for years, we're just going to take a moment right here before we turn to, to look at the scripture. I'm just going to invite you. The song that we just sang is an invitation to behold the King, to see the beauty of the King. And it's in anticipation of the true King of Kings who would come Jesus. And with your eyes closed, just kind of, we're kind of making this up as we go right now. I'm just going to invite you, when you adore someone, when you truly want to give value to someone, then you're singularly focused on them. And all the distractions fade away. So with your eyes closed, I'm just going to invite you right now, before we turn to look at the text and turn to talk, to, to, to the teaching, what distractions do you have? And I just, just call those to mind. And, and say, Lord, would you remove those from my heart, from my mind tonight? It could be really big things. It could be really small things. What distractions do you have? Take a moment right here. Call them to mind and say, Lord, would you remove those from me tonight? Now when you adore someone, when you love someone, all the little things you notice, and even as we had that moment just now of quiet, we could hear the rain, just take a moment right now, Some, something that the Lord has brought into your life that you want to say thank you for, a blessing that he's brought into your life, a good thing that he's brought into your life. Let's not forget that our next breath he sustains, Colossians 1 tells us. Call that thing to mind. Let's not, be, let's not miss the ways that he sustains us. 
Call that thing to mind. Just right now, say thank you to him. lastly, just going to ask you with your eyes closed to just simply, whether you've, whether you're new to, uh, to this thing called the church, maybe you're here and you've got doubts and you're not even really sure about this whole Jesus thing. Maybe you've been walking Jesus, with Jesus for a while. We gather here to study the scriptures that God might speak to us of the power of his spirit and illuminate an ancient text for his glory and for our joy. Just take a moment right now and say, Jesus, would you help me tonight to understand your scripture? Help me tonight to see you better. Help tonight to answer my questions. Help tonight to have my doubt, to find an anchor in you. Whatever it is you came in here with, just ask the Lord to meet you here, to have, through his spirit to speak to you in a fresh way that, he might, that we might leave here different having come here tonight. Just take a moment. Whatever that looks like for you to pray that, just pray that. Father, these ancient words from the sons of Korah, written hundreds of years before the advent of Jesus, the coming of Jesus, in desperate hope that one day the true king, the rescuer king, the deliverer king would come. And for generations, that hope went unmet. And they looked for the one who was fairer than anything else. Where is the one who comes robed in justice and righteousness and mercy and grace? And who could have thought that we would find the answer to those ancient promises in those ancient prayers in a humble man from Nazareth who walks towards a cross that she might rescue us from ourselves and give us hope and life in you? Who could have guessed that it would be in the resurrected king who brings new creation into this world? And who would have guessed that that king would reach through the centuries and change even our lives, even my life? And call me into your kingdom. Of 10,000 of, of men, you are the fairest indeed. And Jesus, we give you glory tonight because you're worthy of it. And we ask this in your name, our king. Amen. All right, grab a seat. That was totally impromptu, but I like that song, and I haven't heard it in a while, so I wanted to do that. Um, how are we tonight? That was, that was weak. That was really weak. We're all just sleepy because of the rain. Uh, how are we tonight? That's better. That's better. Good. Um, we're going to continue our Song of Songs series. we got one more week in it, and then we'll have some celebration here on May 8th. So next week, we'll, we'll finish up this series. And tonight, we're going to talk about beauty, true beauty. What does the Scripture say about beauty and how we interact with each other? And uh, it got me thinking just about how, how humans have talked to each other 
over the centuries, how we talk to those that we find a, a, a beautiful, that we find attractive, how we lavish over them with language and poetry and words. So uh, many of you know, I was an English major in college. Where are my English majors? All, all two of you, great. So yeah, it's a really cool major. You can do a lot with it after you graduate. There's a line up to hire you after you graduate. Um, have you taken Shakespeare yet? Have you? Okay, so, so I'm sorry. It's Shakespeare class. You take it's an upper level English class, and I came into the class thinking we're gonna have to read hundreds, if not thousands, of pages of Shakespeare. This is going to suck. But then, having taken Shakespeare, I left and I went. He's amazing. He's brilliant with language and words, and he's able to capture so poetically and so beautiful that sentiment that we have when you begin to fall in love, when you see an object of beauty and you begin to speak over them. Let me just show you some of the language of Shakespeare here. Let me just read it to you. He says this. It's hundreds of years old now. He says, speaking of the object of his adoration, the brightness of her cheek would shame the stars as daylight doth a lamp. Her eye in heaven would through the airy region stream so bright that birds would sing and think it were not night. That's good, isn't it? I mean, that's really good. Like, I bet most of us in the room, although we can't understand what he's saying, I bet many of us in the room would love to have somebody to see us, to fall in love with us, to understand us, to know us, and then to break out in poetry. And it got me thinking, when I compare these a couple hundred-year-old lyrics, I started thinking, what are the lyrics of how we speak over the objects of our beauty in our culture? And it got me thinking about how far we've fallen, all right? This is Florida Georgia Lime, in case you don't know who this is. And I know several of you in the room, you actually like Florida Georgia Lime. Let me give you a little, little, little secret here about me. I think that Florida Georgia Lime is the worst thing that ever happened to music besides Luke Bryan, all right? Anybody agree with me? Where are my Luke Bryan fans in the room? Yeah, y'all are wrong. Okay, all of you are wrong. Yeah, he sucks. He's terrible. Only topped by these guys, Florida Georgia Lime. And as I was thinking about how far we have fallen in the way that we speak about the object of our adoration and love, I started thinking about bro country in general. And here seems to be the sentiment of bro country. Here's, here's what a man thinks about a woman in bro country. Here's what the object of his love and beauty kind of sounds like. All right, here she is. She is hot. She wears short dresses. She doesn't speak almost ever. And all she really wants to do is hop up in your truck, drive around and make out with you, and then kind of get out of the way so you can show her off to your friends because she's that hot and that sexy. Don't believe me? Let's look at some lyrics, okay? Let's go Luke Bryan here. We're starting a little old school here. Here's Luke Bryan. Let's, let's look at this. We go from Shakespeare to this. I'm gonna watch you make me fall in love. Get up on the hood of my daddy's tractor or up on the toolbox where every woman wants to be. Up on the toolbox. It don't matter. Down on the tailgate. Girl, I can't wait. This is a real poetic line. To watch you do your thing. Real poetic of Luke Bryan. Let's go Florida Georgia line for a moment. Yeah. 
When I first saw that bikini top on her, she's popping right out of that South Georgia water. I thought, whoo, good Lord, she had them long tan legs. Couldn't help myself, so I walked up and said, It's so sad. You all love You all know it. You all love it. Like, they continue. She, by the way, here it is again. She hopped right up into the cab of my truck, said, fire it up. Let's go get this thing stuck. That's what every girl I know wants to do is get up in your truck and go get it stuck somewhere. They're all dying for that. Let's go last. This is a little bit old school. This is from about a decade ago. Kip Moore. This song was huge. All right, Kip Moore, how would you describe the object of your love? What is the ideal woman to you, the object of your beauty? Here's his response. Something about a girl in a red dress. That's basically all he's got. There's something about her when she's got a beer pressed against her lip in the farmer's field. Make a boy a man. And look at the second stanza. And there's something about a kiss that's going to lead to more. On that drop tailgate, where? Back behind the corn. Because that's where every girl wants to make out with you, is on the drop tailgate, back behind the corn. Look at the last stanza. And there's something about you and me and the birds and the bees. And Lord, have mercy, it's a beautiful thing. Ain't nothing about luck. There's just something about a truck. We're going to talk tonight about true beauty. And we're going to hope to get a biblical definition of what this should look like. And here's my hope as we go through this tonight. We're gonna see these kind of three things I hope emerge as we work through this tonight. First, we're gonna see there's a way for beauty that will lead to sanity, that will make sense, that actually doesn't end up ruining you and wrecking you. Then we're gonna see there's a way that leads to shackles, a way that just absolutely enslaves us. And most of us have fallen for it. And it's my prayer that we might find the way that actually leads to freedom. That's where we're gonna go tonight. The way that leads to sanity, the biblical view of of beauty, the way that leads to shackles, our culture's view, view of beauty, and lastly, a way that leads to freedom. How can we be set free from this? If you got your Bibles, Open them with me. Song of songs. We got two more weeks. Here we go. Let's get to work uh, tonight on this ancient collection of Hebrew love and romance poetry. Now, we've seen, as we've looked throughout this, the the man and the woman, the bride and the groom, they speak to each other throughout the Song of Songs. And here is no different. Notice what the woman says, though, right off the bat in chapter one. We'll pick it up in verse five. And by the way, I know this is a little bit unusual. We're kind of going here and there throughout the Song of Songs instead of what we normally do, which is kind of walking through a book of the Bible or sections of the Bible verse by verse, but it was a little bit different for this series, so bear with us. Here we go, verse five. Here's what she says. She says, dark I am, yet lovely, daughters of Jerusalem, dark like the tents of Kedar. She's using a, a cultural idea that they would understand that's a little bit foreign to us, but she says, don't stare at me because I am dark, because I am darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards, but my own vineyards I had to neglect. This may in, indicate that she's, she comes from not a well-to-do family, so she's working out in the vineyards, in the fields. Now, what we're going to see is it's, it's a different cultural standard than our modern cultural standard. She actually, the, when you, in, in the ancient uh, world, in this day and age, working out in the fields and having the, the sun begin to darken and tan your skin, that was actually seen as a sign of the opposite 
of beauty. And now we've kind of reversed that, right? We see that largely, uh, especially for white people like me, we see that as a sign of tanning, as a sign of being attractive. But it's the exact opposite. But here's what she sees. She says, I look at the cultural script. And when I see the cultural script of beauty, and then I look at myself, I feel that I don't measure up. I mean, it's out there. She sees it. You can see it right there on the page. She says, I don't measure up to it. And you can sense in her the fear of that. You can sense in her the shame of that. And by the way, for most of us in the room, guys or girls, by the way, we see this, don't, don't we? The cultural standard of beauty, we're going to come back to it in a minute. And for so many of us, we see it out there and we fear we don't measure. Now I had to ask people. I'm not all that cool anymore. I don't really know what's in pop culture. I had to ask people. And they were telling me who's like seen now as like really attractive or the culture standard of attraction and beauty. And here's the one I didn't get. I had three different people that I texted or asked tell me that this guy <laughs> is part of the cultural standard of beauty. This? I, get, I don't get it. Hey, ladies, help me. Is he good looking? I, I, I'm hearing mixed reviews here. Ladies, if you think he's really good looking, raise your hand. What about not? Okay, the no's have it. All right, so I don't get it. Multiple people told me about this guy. Um, here's, the, here's the idea. She looks at the culture standard of beauty and fears that she doesn't measure up. And for so many of us, that's, been our, that's our experience as well. We see the cultural standard. We're going to come back and talk about it in a minute. Then we look at ourselves and we go, I don't measure up. But I want you to see the man's response. Look at how he responds. This is the way that will lead to sanity. And he's gonna do it over and over and over again within the context of Song of Songs. You can sense her anxiety, you can sense her insecurities, and he comes along and says, I liken you, my darling, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariot horses. I mean, you stand out among everybody. You're beautiful. How beautiful you are, my darling. How beautiful. And he begins to describe how he finds her so desirable, so beautiful, so attractive. He's going to continue later on. He says, you are altogether beautiful, my darling. There's no flaw in you. You've stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. You've stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes. I know you feel the insecurities but there's no one like you. He continues. He says, she, she says this, I'm like a meadow flower, like a wild weed growing out in the field. Not that special. Doesn't stand out. And he says, no, 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 you're not. You're like a lily among the thorns. In other words, there's no one like you. Everything else looks like a thorn bush compared to you. You're like a flower among thorns. Can you imagine the assurance this would provide her? Can you imagine the sense of confidence that this would provide for her? I don't measure up to the culture standard. There's no one like you. Yeah, sure, you don't, you don't meet the culture standard, but I find you beautiful exactly as you are. You are altogether lovely. But it's not just the man speaking to the woman. She says similar things to him. Remember, we noted that the woman actually speaks more in Song of Songs and how unusual that was in the ancient culture. Look at what she says to him. My beloved is radiant, he shines, and ruddy, which is a word that means handsome, outstanding among 10,000. And she begins to describe 
what he looks like. She'll also say, like an apple tree among the trees in the forest. You got a forest of green trees and then an apple tree with fruit on it. You can spot it, it stands out, is my beloved among the young men. No matter what the culture's view says, she says, there's no one like you. You stand out, you're radiant, you shine. It gives us a principle. It's a simple biblical principle. I want you to hear it. The biblical principle of how we understand beauty is this. Your standard of beauty is your spouse. The person you marry becomes your standard of beauty. Now we're gonna see how that leads to an amazing amount of freedom and joy. This is Sarah and I, um, when we were getting married. And what that means is Sarah's standard of beauty. The day that we made our covenant vows to each other, this became her standard of beauty. Yes, sir, is right. <laughs> You're darn right. This became her standard of beauty. Now, even, if, even as things change for me, I've shown you this picture before, but I can't help myself. Even as things get a little awry for me, like, I mean, this is not my best. I need to work a little harder here. All right, I'm working on it. But even as I, you know, gain 30 or 40 pounds and begin to take more of a big bird type shape, um, her standard of beauty remains this. And it's not just like how our physical features change, how our physical features begin to age. When we got married, we, we were relative, we had, it seemed like few responsibilities. We were young, we had energy, and now we've got three of these things running around. Now her standard of beauty is not just Garland, her husband, but Garland, the father of her kids. The person who's in this with her to raise these kids together, who's creating a family with her. And she's my standard of beauty. Can you see how this would actually create a whole huge amount of security and confidence for my wife and for me? For her to not feel that she has to chase after the culture's standard of beauty, but to know you're my standard. You are altogether lovely, my bride. Can you see how that would reassure her or reassure me? Even as things change and even as we age, it's a very simple idea. The principle is the biblical view of beauty is your standard of beauty becomes your spouse. Now, here's what I recognize. Most of you aren't married, right? I mean, probably only a few in the room are married and we're almost all leading stuff. So let me give you three things. As you, as you look forward one day to some of you maybe getting married, here's three things for the now. We're gonna talk about the number one here in a little bit. Number one is you have to root your identity in Jesus. We're gonna talk more about it in a minute, but you have to root your identity, your affirmation, your sense of, of importance and significance in Jesus. We're gonna come back to it. Number two, let me just tell you this. I feel like sometimes Christians don't think that what I'm about to say is true, and that's too bad. It is okay. It is okay for you to see somebody and think they're beautiful, to be attracted to somebody to see somebody that God has made and go, they're altogether lovely. Wow, look at what God has made. That's awesome. And I think for some reason, Christians have reinforced this idea that like to be attracted to somebody or to wanna get married or to, to wanna date somebody or just, be, just to think somebody's really cool and awesome, wanna spend time with them is somehow a bad thing. It's okay. Like, I find my wife attractive. I did and I do. There's nothing wrong with that. The third thing is this. First, you gotta root your identity in Jesus. Second, hear me, it's okay. 
to say, that person's beautiful. I'm attracted to that person. The third thing is this. The Bible is going to give warning after warning after warning about only looking at the surface or only looking at the externals. Uh, my wife uh, has told me uh, when we got married, when we, when, you know, when we got engaged, and she said, one of, the, one of the reasons that she wanted to marry me, this is being really vulnerable here, she said, every guy that she ever dated never tried to protect physical boundaries in their relationship. And she said, you actually tried. And that was more attractive to me than anything else. The Bible's gonna give warning after warning after warning after warning about merely looking at the externals. Let me give you a couple of them. In Proverbs chapter 31, what we get is an acrostic poem to end the book of Proverbs. And it's not a checklist for a, a godly woman to do every day, no. It is a couple, and the man is looking back on the decades of their relationship, probably speaking to their son and saying, let me tell you how awesome your mom was over the course of years. She knew the exact wise thing to do when the wise thing was called for. And it ends with this warning. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord, who trusts and obeys the Lord, is to be praised. Or 1 Peter in the New Testament says, don't let your beauty be the externals only, but the inner person, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth, in God's sight. This is the way that leads to sanity. It actually makes sense. It's not gonna just drive us crazy. So what's the way that leads to shackles? What's our, cult what's our culture's view? I actually don't think I need to spend much time defining it, because we all know it. I'll, I'll define it for you. The culture's view of beauty is something like this. Your standard of beauty is the perfect, edited, always changing, unrealistic, impossible, photoshopped one created by media and marketers, celebrities, and porn. And that's the culture's standard of beauty. We all understand it. We all see it. Now, some of you in the room, you go, nah, not me, not my group. We don't care about all that mainstream stuff. We've, uh, we've jettisoned all that. We're just trying to be our own group over here. We don't want to chase any of that. But guess what? Can I tell you? Within your own group, you will create your own cultural standards of beauty, and then you'll be constantly insecure that you don't measure up to those. This standard of beauty that our culture is throwing at us, it's in our face. It seems like it's everywhere we turn, and it's always changing. It's always getting more expensive. Just to highlight how it's always changing, I went and looked uh, the other day at Trends of beauty that have adjusted over the centuries. There were some strange ones. Let me give you a couple of them. Uh, here's one. There was a time in Japan where it was seen as culturally beautiful. It was, a, it was a sign of beauty to actually shave your eyebrows and then paint eyebrows way up high on your forehead. That was a standard of beauty. They don't do it anymore. But there was a time when that was seen as a standard of beauty. Aren't you glad that one's faded? What about this one? This one's really strange. There was a time when it was seen as beautiful to literally shave the front part of your head and just leave the back part. Anybody down for that? Pretty cool, huh? Go to the barber and ask for this next time you go. Just Google it. You can find it, all right? They're always changing. 
We've seen times when it was more attractive to be more curvy, and sometimes it's been more attractive to be more thin, and that goes back and forth over the centuries and back and forth over the decades. These cultural standards of beauty are always changing. Now we've landed on this for some reason. None of you agree, apparently, which is good. The culture's standard of beauty, it's always changing. It's temporary, it's transient, it feels like we're always having to chase it. It's photoshopped, it's edited. We see it all over the place. We see it in celebrities, we see it online, we see it on social media, we see it in the grocery store, it's everywhere. This standard of beauty that we're supposed to live up to, it's in our face and it leads to shackles. This constant feeling that we don't measure up, this constant looking at ourselves and only seeing the parts that we don't like, this constant worry that I don't hit the number on the scale or I don't look the way that I ought or I don't dress the way that I ought, I don't have the right kinds of clothes, I haven't bought the right things, I don't look the part, my hair is not the right way. And we can constantly be bombarded of this and we can see this even in the bride-to-be's language. You can almost sense her insecurity in chapter one. As she looks out at the cultural standard, you can almost sense her her anxiety over it, her insecurity over it, her worry over it. And for many of us, that's exactly how we feel. It's a constant state of comparison, a constant looking around and looking at ourselves, a constant looking in the mirror and being drawn first and foremost to the things about ourselves that we wish were different. And it's enslaving us. And here's what makes matters worse. Um, our social media has taken even the mundane things in life and turned them into a beauty contest. Don't believe me? Don't believe me that even the most mundane things of life have been turned into a beauty contest. For a month, try it. Just take one picture, no edits, no retakes, and put that online when you're going to take a picture of something. And yet, what do we see? Oh, retake that one. I don't like how I look in this one. Oh, change that. I don't like that side. I got to fix my hair. I don't like how my arms look in this one. Let me edit it. Let me change it. Let me put a filter on it. We have this constant desire to, to, to make ourselves look a certain way. It isn't working. It's enslaving. It shackles our heart to insecurity and anxiety. And not just our, our own internal selves. It also creates, in the way that we look at other people, the way that we date, it creates in us this mentality where the grass is always greener, where we're always looking for that standard of beauty, no matter what we have. Let me illustrate this way. This is the original iPhone, okay? And I remember this, the original iPhone. I didn't have one because I wasn't cool. I had a Nokia phone. But the original iPhone, and uh, it was an awesome phone. You could do really cool stuff with it had amazing like apps and technology, it was really cool. But you know what happened? They came up with a new iPhone. And everybody that had iPhone, the original iPhone was like, well, I need the upgrade. What are we on now, 13? Like 13 green, there's like a green one now. By the way, I can't prove this. Some of you might know the answer to this. I swear, every time they give you an update, your phone begins to break on you. Is this true? Every time you update, the phone gets worse, and then you have to buy the new one. You want to buy this. Has anybody else had this experience, or is this just me? You agree with Who agrees with me? Somebody investigate this and tell me. I think it breaks your phone so that you feel the need to buy the new one. We, it creates in us this constant upgrade mentality. 
where we need to have the new thing, the new technology, the new camera, the new colors, the new everything. And that's exactly what's happened in our dating. That standard of beauty is always changing. It's like a moving target. And for us, for so many of us, we're always chasing the prettiest, the funniest, the, the, the most charming, the sexiest. And we're always after this standard of beauty and it creates in us this upgrade mentality. By the way, it's no wonder that we see so much divorce because of adultery and affairs in our culture. What happens is people get married, but they haven't adjusted from the culture's view of beauty to the Bible standard of beauty. And as a result, as, as, the partner, as their partner begins to age or change, they stick with the culture standard of beauty and now they don't match it. They're going to find somebody else. We see this all over our culture because we never, we never change to up, from upgrade mentality to the Bible's view of beauty. Let me just tell you for me. I, I, I was already vulnerable, so I'll be vulnerable again. Um, when, I, when I look into a mirror or when I pass by like my reflection, almost always, or when I see a picture of myself, and I don't think I'm alone, so you, somebody can tell me if, I, if I'm alone in this, then, then I guess I'm weird, but almost always, my brain will gravitate towards the things about me that I think are ugly, or the things about me that I think are different, or the things about me that are aging. And I actually think I don't care that much. And yet every time I see myself, or every time I see a picture, I start, I'm looking at the things about me that I wish were different. It's not working, this is enslaving. Here's, here's to make matters even worse. I've got two daughters, and I got a son. And about 10 days ago, I was putting my eight-year-old Hattie Mae to bed. We were doing our little bedtime routine. And my wife came in and she said, hey, Hattie, I want to talk to you. And she kicked me out. And I went, I went and put Titus down and went downstairs. And uh, she came downstairs. And I said, I said what was that about? What, what, what did you want to talk to her about? She said, she came home today. And she wasn't joking. She came home today and she said, mommy, am I fat? She's eight. This culture standard of beauty is enslaving us. And it terrifies me for my kids. It terrifies me for me. It's not working. So how do we break free? Like how do we have our shackles broken to experience freedom and joy from this? To do that, I'm gonna take you to the New Testament. I'm gonna swing us over to John. Before we look there, I just want you to see the setup. Jesus will encounter a woman. It's a famous passage. It's in John chapter four. He encounters a woman there. And we don't really know all of her story. She's been married five times and the guy she's currently living with ain't her husband. So we, we're supposed to, I think, piece together that she's got some brokenness in her story and in her past. She's also come to this well at the hot part of the day, which is not when the women would come to draw the water. They would come in the early morning or late uh, at dusk when it was cooler, which tells us she's now a social outcast. Something about her story, she's been removed from society. She's no longer welcome. And you can imagine her brokenness as she comes to this well. You can sense as you look at the narrative, there's something in her that you can sense her insecurities. Her security, her image, it's been tattered. And Jesus walks up to her. And in a very unusual move, in fact, the disciples show up like, what is he doing? He walks up to her and he speaks to her. He looks her in the eye. And he shows her dignity. He sees the beauty in her. And he engages her about who he is and why he's here. 
And pointing to the well, he talks about the well literally, but he means, I think, also figuratively. He says, everyone who drinks this water, you will go thirsty. You'll thirst again and again. You keep going to broken wells that don't work, they're going to leave you thirsty and empty. And he says, but whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He offers her something better. Hear me. You don't have to be defined by the number on the scale or the way you look in the mirror or how, what attention people give you or how you compare to your friends or how charming people may think you are or funny. You don't have to be defined by the comparisons that you make. You don't have to be defined by the culture standard of beauty. Jesus offers a better way. He offers a way to freedom, to find our significance and our worth and our beauty in him. Martin Luther sums it up so well. The Protestant reformer from about 500 years ago says that this, this is such a great quote. This is worth memorizing. Get this tattooed, okay? Here's what he says. He says, God's love does not love that which is worthy of being loved. If God only loved the ones who were worthy of his love, we're all toast, right? If, God's, if God only loved those that were worthy of being loved, none of us are good enough, smart enough, uh, righteous enough, beautiful enough, none of us. That's not how God operates. Look at how he concludes the sentence. He says, but he creates that which is worthy of being loved. He creates it. See, Jesus, after speaking to that woman, within a matter of years, he will walk up the hill of Golgotha, and he will have all of our brokenness and shame and insecurity and all of our ugly mess put on him so that we might get his goodness and beauty and righteousness. He creates that which is worthy of being loved. That's where your beauty comes from. That's where your security comes from. Is that not amazing? He offers a way to set you free. No matter how you came in here, you can walk out free tonight in understanding what he's done. Now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you see a story. This is Emma's story, and one of our college students shot the video, and it's about one of our college students, so I love that. So just hear Emma's story as she interacts with what we've been talking about tonight. Check this video out.
You can actually hear the shackles turn into freedom. And that's, that's been my prayers we've looked towards this night for the last several weeks. God's love does not love that which is worthy of being loved, no. But he creates that which is worthy of being loved. That's our security. That's our beauty. That's our value and what he's done for us. So as we turn now to, to sing and to celebrate who he is, just be processing that. Are you shackled? Can we trust Jesus to set us free? Let's pray. Of 10,000, Jesus, you really are the fairest of all. And what a beautiful story, what a compelling story that you went to the cross on our behalf to secure, instead of our brokenness, beauty, to turn ashes into beauty. And so, Jesus, we thank you that you indeed make us worthy of being loved, not for anything that we've done, because of what you've done. And now we want to give you the glory. We want to follow you. We want to make our lives about you. We turn now to give you the praise and the honor of what you've done for us. Thank you, Jesus. Pray in your name. Amen.
He will inhabit There will be grace And mercy all around And every burden Will be lifted in His presence Every trophy Will be laid down at His feet Oh, 
King above all
walk in that confidence. Just walk in that hope. We walk in who he says that we are, and we experience the freedom that he offers us. Fellowship College, we love you. If you want to process, if you want a prayer, I'll be right here. Josh and Kennedy will be back there. God bless y'all. Enjoy the rain. Have a great night, everybody.